electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a serious national security threat, an ominous warning briefly spooking stocks with new developments quickly unfolding tonight. We will get some answers. The layoffs are coming at another Silicon Valley giant, and its stock is moving after hours. Flag on the play, two of media's top players hitting back at a sports streaming mega app. A bull run on chickens? Our bottomless appetite for wings, sending one stock flying, we'll name it. Plus, it loves you not. Congress giving an unwelcome news to some married couples just in time for Valentine's Day and return to the moon. A pivotal SpaceX launch just hours away. We will break down these sky high stakes. All that and more over the hour. So as always, belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. Hi, everybody. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. We have all that and more coming up across the hour. But first up on last, call the markets and your money. Stocks, they bounced back today after yesterday's big sell-off. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ did claw back a little bit of their losses. The NASDAQ, the big winner, up 1.3%. S&P 500 up just under that. So it's only Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Yeah. But all the major indexes, unless we see big gains the next two days, probably will end the week down. we still got some time. That said, let's not lose context. It has still been a pretty good start to the year for Wall Street and your money. The Dow and the S&P 500, they have hit multiple record highs. But much of the gains have come off the back of a small and smaller group of red-hot stocks. You know, little companies you might have heard about, NVIDIA, Meta, and more. And we know this. The momentum trade is what's driving the overall markets right now. That's not our opinion. Let's take a look at the Momentum Factor ETF. Maybe never have heard of it. It's called MTUM. That's the ticker. It tracks high-flying stocks like NVIDIA, Meta, Broadcom, Amazon, and even Eli Lilly, which has been running. And the MTUM has already popped 14% this year. Another example of the momentum, Bitcoin, digital asset up 21% and rapidly nearing $52,000. Now, in the meantime, the equal weighted S&P 500, where all 500 stocks are all given the same weight, it has been basically flat. So much for the great broadening out that many analysts and strategists have predicted. The bottom line, it appears that we are in a risk takers market. So what does that mean for your money now? Should you double down on momentum or maybe is it time to take some chips off the table? You've made a lot of money. Let's talk about that with our leadoff market panel. Veritas Financial Managing Partner and CBC Contributor Greg Branch on set. And Stonex Chief Market Strategist Catherine Rooney-Vera. Thank you to you both. Uh, Greg, you're here, so I'll start with you. Sure. And we know you've been cautious on the market. Man, this is a, this is a red, it's a red-hot market. And the one thing I've learned in doing this a long time 
Momentum can last a lot longer than people think. Right. It, it can depart from fundamentals. And I think that has it. I think so. I think so. You know what? I'm going to answer that both ways. In some cases, it has. In some cases, it hasn't. And I think that there's a set of stocks that's going to grow 20 percent plus this year. And we're seeing that the market activity narrow around those stocks. Is this Greg Branch getting bullish? No. What's happening here? Is Abs- Valentine's Ab- Day? Or is love is in the air, Greg. Absolutely not. I, <laughs> I still have my bearish posture overall. But, but this has long been a component of my thesis is that the, the rally would narrow again around these set of stocks. And while we focus on the mega cap names in terms of that set, there are names down the chain as well. We saw ServiceNow put up mm-hmm. spectacular results, Palantir, Powell Industries. And so what I think will happen is that we'll see some of those names start to get the same type of performance as the larger cap ones. But again, if you have a set of stocks or a set of companies that are going to put up 20% plus, mm-hmm. and you have the rest that are going to put up low single digits or negative growth, because I do believe the slowdown's in front of us, I think you'll see investors flock where, where the honey is. Well, there's certainly been enough layoffs to sort of fall into your slowdown thesis, though, Catherine. You know what scared me about yesterday was that market took a big hit, and some of these high flyers, they took the biggest hit, as they should, and they took the hit because inflation data came in mildly higher than what the consensus of Wall Street expected, so it shifted Fed thought. And I just thought, this is a market that I think is riding the razor's edge of every little twist and turn in what the Fed might do based on the price of eggs. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good point, Brian. And, uh, and I'll add to it, which is I, I think that the way the S&P 500, principally driven by those magnificent whatever, six, seven, eight, you know, whatever it is, the only way that can move higher in a breakout 20% higher is if economic growth remains strong and this disinflationary trend continues. So if we see 2024 be a repeat of 2023, yes, the S&P 500 driven by the high flyers is going to move higher by 20%. But the likelihood of that, I think, is low. We're going to see a rocky period on for inflation. And Brian, I'll add, I think that there's a, a elevated risk that we see inflation reaccelerate down the line if we are to continue at this torrid economic growth pace, which is almost double potential. Remember, potential growth in the U.S. is 1.8%. We will have ended last year with real growth to the tune of almost 3%. And that looks to be carrying over into 2024. But Catherine, and didn't this, this rally started really like, you know, with the exception of some stocks, the broader rally started sort of last October because that's when the Fed started to shift and you started talking about rate cuts or the pause or all this other stuff. If inflation does stay the same or even reaccelerate, which is what happened in 1980, I believe, then if the Fed changes, if we start talking about no rate cuts this year, do we have to give back the rally? Because if the rally was based on that and that doesn't happen, then eh. Well, it depends on the magnitude of the reacceleration, because remember, in the beginning of 2023, Brian, the markets were expecting 75 basis points of rate cuts. It didn't happen, as we know, but it didn't happen because economic growth was so robust and 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 we had the disinflationary trend. Were that to continue, we can see a repeat. So, yes, we can see a breakout. But I just think that the risk is higher that that doesn't transpire because we have other headwinds here, namely corporate profit margins are going to come under pressure. And if that happens, 
happens, then we see cost cutting. If that happens, we see layoffs. So I think that there are a lot of headwinds to the market, which is why I like buying cheap put options, which is why I like taking some chips off the off the table, rotating into those more defensive sectors in this barbell approach to the equity markets. Yeah, put options, a little bit of insurance there. I mean, listen, here's the thing. There's a company called Supermicro. I'm not going to ask you to go into individual names. Right. Went up $90 today. It's up $20 after hours. It was a tiny cap stock. It got caught up in the AI frenzy. Traders are printing money on it. I, I just feel like if we just change the name, Max, we're going to change the name of the show to Last Call AI, and our ratings will triple instantly. We'll change nothing. We'll just add AI to the right. end of Last Call right. AI. And, and we're, that's, right. that's it. Look, we're all going to retire that's, with that's bags part, of gold. That, that's part of it, Brian. But what I, what I think it really gets down to, though, is, is some of this is fundamentally driven, right? And so when you look at the names that I mentioned, they doubled their backlog. They crushed their earnings. Uh, and so investors are looking for that within the context of everything being driven by MTUM, is what you called it. Or, yeah, the, or that, the momentum <laughs> ETF. Right. We it's might a, need some TUMs. On the M Tom, we we likely will. Um, <laughs> I I have been eating Tums for two months because, as you know, I have been saying that it is more likely we get a Fed hike than a Fed cut first, and so I am I am comforted that my good friend Catherine is, is starting to warm up to that idea. I think that's what you're saying, right, Catherine? Well, I think that we're probably going to get cuts, but I, I don't think we'll get hikes, uh, Greg, but but unlikely to be the 150, 175 that the markets had yeah. originally priced in. I think we get I'll 75 to 100 well, this year. May, well, may, maybe no cuts is the new hike. And maybe. I think no cuts is not a no chance scenario this summer. Catherine Rivera, Greg Branch, thank you both. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's take a look at what happened inside the market today. Your stud of the day was Uber. Uber up nearly 15% and a big stock buyback, about $7 billion worth of shares. Big decliner. Video compression technology company Akamai down 8% on weaker earnings. Again, let's take a look at the futures. Grain of salt is like two shares traded. Still no real indication there. All right, we are just getting started and here on deck... The serious national security threat leaving everybody from investors to lawmakers scratching their heads a bit. Eamon Javers is going to try to make sense of this story for you. Plus, a wave of tech layoffs coming for one of the biggest companies yet. Who and how many? Coming up. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.
All right, let's get down to tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories and headlines you and Wall Street will be talking about tomorrow. First up, Cisco Systems reporting results, but really that's not the headline. Cisco is going to cut 5% of its global workforce. That's thousands of people following demand concerns and weak guidance. There should be about 4,000 or so jobs. Cisco CEO addressed the cuts on Mad Money with Jim a short time ago. These are very tough decisions, and we're going to be spending time with our employees over the next couple of days just talking through this. But uh, clearly, when you're, when, you're, when you're off plan the way we are this year, because of these issues that we talked about, we have to adjust our expenses, and that's what we've done. So uh, it won't be easy, but we'll get through it. Investors not happy with the news. Shares of Cisco are down after hours, about 5%. Next up, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway trimming positions in some big companies. According to the latest 13F filing, Berkshire cut its position in Apple, its biggest holding, but only by about 1%. Among other notable changes, they cut their stakes in HP and Paramount Global. But what did they buy? Well, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway and his team added to their positions in Chevron, Occidental Petroleum. By the way, they could end up controlling the entirety of Occidental Petroleum and Sirius XM. And finally, watch out Google. According to The Information, OpenAI is developing a web search product that could put it in direct competition with Google. It is currently unclear how, if at all, this new product will be separate from ChatGPT. Alphabet shares not getting hit too hard on that, down about 1.7%. In the meantime, an ominous warning from House Intelligence Committee Chairman Congressman Mike Turner. In a statement released just before noon, Turner said that Congress has been made aware of, quote, information concerning a serious national security threat, end quote. He goes on to request President Biden to declassify all related information to allow open discussion of this alleged threat. Even without any further details, stocks briefly fell on that vaguely worded statement as it picked up traction on trading desks. But who, what, where is this vague threat? There's still a lot we don't know. But Eamon Jabbers knows as much as anybody, and so he joins us now. Eamon, it's a it's a kind of a weird story. What's going on? Yeah, Brian, it was a mysterious day in Washington. Turner's highly unusual statement set off a fury of speculation as people tried to figure out what Turner was talking about and just how imminent this threat could be. Now, House Speaker Mike Johnson sought to reassure the public. I want to assure the American people there is no need for public alarm. We are going to work together to address this matter, as we do all sensitive matters that are classified. And beyond that, uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose classified information and really can't say much more. Meanwhile, across the Capitol, the Republican and Democratic leaders of the Senate Intelligence Committee were caught off guard by Turner's move and released their own statement warning against what they called potentially disclosing sources and methods that may be key to preserving a range of options for U.S. action. And over at the White House, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan appeared in the briefing room to tell reporters that he was surprised Turner gave a public statement about the situation and said he's scheduled to brief top members of Congress on the threat on Capitol Hill tomorrow. I am confident that President Biden, in the decisions that he is taking, is going to ensure the security of the American people going forward. And I will stand here at this podium and assert that, look you in the eye with confidence, that we believe that we can and will and are protecting the national security of the United States and the American people. 
So what was all this about? Well, Brian, at this hour, it's still unclear what exactly this alleged threat is. But two sources familiar with the matter tell NBC News that his comments refer to a space-related capability of the Russian military. And that's all we know tonight, Brian. Back over to you. Yeah, the New York Times and some others reporting on this this potential, to your point, space-based, potentially nuclear satellite. But again, we don't know. Do we know what Congress, and I'm not going to ask you to speculate into intent, but I kind of am, Heyman, which is, do we know Congressman Turner's intent in doing this? Because it it shook a lot of people. It shook the markets briefly. I mean, we do know his intent, at least insofar as he said it in the statement, right? What he said was he wants President Biden to declassify information about this situation, whatever it is, some new information relatively recently learned by U.S. intelligence. And he wants the public to be able to be aware of it. He wants there to be a public debate about what to do about it. And he wants the United States to be able to discuss it publicly with our allies. So uh, Mm. that's one thing. I think the other thing is there's the subtext, of course, about this Ukraine aid bill that's been moving on Capitol Hill. A lot of Republicans are pushing against that. Turner's been a supporter of it. uh, And so new information about Russian intents vis-a-vis the United States and maybe some, you know, uh, malicious intent vis-a-vis the United States could play into that debate among Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives. So that may be a part of this, too, is trying to alert his colleagues to what the danger is. We just don't know. What he said was he wants a public debate about whatever this is. That's not happening tonight. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Eamon Javers in D.C. Eamon, thank you very much. All right, still ahead, it may be Valentine's Day, but Congress just poured some major salt in the wound for some higher taxed couples. We'll talk about that next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back. Remember the Trump tax cuts for the rich? I'm doing air quotes if you're on the radio a few years ago. You still hear it referred to that, even though the tax was actually a stealth tax hike on millions of families who live in higher tax states because that tax change capped their allowable federal deductions for state and local taxes, known as SALT, at $10,000. For many families in high-income and high-tax states like California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and more, that cap likely wiped out any savings from the small cut in the top-line income tax rate and resulted in a net higher tax bill, I'm told. (laughs) It's why at the time I called it the blue state payback. Well, some Congress people were hoping to quietly change that rule a bit, but it failed miserably. Emily Wilkins joining us now with more from D.C. Emily, what happened and why did this bill go down in flames so fast? 
Yeah, well, Brian, this is particularly bad news this Valentine's Day for married couples. This bill, mind you, was tailored specifically to close this marriage loophole that required joint filers to take the same amount of deduction as a single single tax filer would. So this measure, which would have doubled the deduction for joint filers, it didn't even clear a procedural hurdle. Now, it's common for Democrats to vote no on procedural things like this. The minority party almost always does. But 18 hardline budget-conscious Republicans joined them, effectively killing this bill. And their concern is the national debt. Just raising the cap for married couples would decrease tax revenue by about $8 billion, according to the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. And opponents also say that the tax breaks, and you kind of covered this, mostly benefit wealthier Americans. Now, New York Republican Mark Molinaro pushed back on that argument today, saying that regular families in high-tax states need the deduction. Right now, married couples are unfairly and arbitrarily punished with assault deduction in a way that matches almost no other facet of the tax code. And so let's make one thing clear. We're not talking about the wealthiest of New Yorkers that are being impacted here. I'm talking about families and parents and towns and communities like Vestal and Dryden and Hudson, upstate communities that most don't know but struggle every day. I caught up with Molinaro and several other Republicans from New York after the vote, and they said they're not going to give up on lifting the caps. Now, their best chance looks to be next year, when Congress will have to decide whether to renew parts of that 2017 tax law, and of course, that includes the salt caps. Now, Republican lawmakers told me that they do not want to wait until 2015 to eliminate the limits on the deduction, but their first step tonight, at least, is to commiserate over the day's vote with margaritas with the rim dipped in salt. Brian? Mm, I see what they did there. Very sneaky. The blue state payback. Emily Wilkins, thank you. All right, joining us now to talk more about this is former top aide to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Melissa DeRosa on set, and former chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence, Mark Short. Mark, next time you got to drag yourself back into the studio like last time. Thank you both for joining us. You know, this is, I know it gets called a tax cut for the rich across a lot of networks. It's not. Higher income families that are not billionaires got crushed by this. This bill went down in flames, Melissa. No, I mean, look, I was there in 2017 helping to lead the charge against this when Trump enacted what was essentially a tax increase on disproportionately blue states, 12 different blue states across the country that also, by the way, happen to be big donor states, as you know. The top 10 states in the country that pay more back to Washington than they get back. So it was effectively a tax increase. And for those of us who live in places like New York and New Jersey, you know that a $10,000 cap on your deductibility of state and local income taxes is nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. You know, and and Mark, I I get the the idea here for people that, that live not in those states that Melissa mentioned that are on our map highlighted in yellow. They're probably laughing. They're saying, hey, guess what? You you know. You, you wanted this, you want, you want to talk about the debt, you worry about that, good. If you want to complain about it, you can pay for it. But let's be clear, Mark, this was not a tax cut for millions of Americans who itemized their deductions, which I know is, you know, higher income folks, but that's the CNBC audience, my man. Brian, is uh, at the time I was a White House Legislative Affairs Director in 2017 when we passed that tax relief for millions of Americans. And the reality is that it did help us lower the corporate tax rate by eliminating or reducing the SALT deduction. It helped to uh, flatten the tax code as opposed to allowing people in certain northeastern states to have bigger tax deductions that are subsidized by people across the middle of America. 
And I always find it entertaining to see Democrats want to argue for a tax cut for millionaires, because the reality is that two and a half percent of people earning under $100,000 would have itemized their tax cut and taken this deduction. This deduction is predominantly for people who are overtaxed in northeastern states, and they should lobby Albany or Trenton or their state capitals to reduce their state taxes as opposed to suggesting they should be subsidized at the federal level. I'll get right on that, Mark. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to just I'm going to march down to Trenton like George Washington. We're going to cross the river and just storm into Trenton. Listen, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in those states that that would disagree. And I'm, you know, a lot of people. I'm, OK, I'll sure. say it. it's me. But, you know, and, and you're getting <laughs> I'm crushed. Sure. and you're not millionaires. Right. You're not you're not Jeff Bezos. Right. You do well as a W-2 employee. And yeah, it's not your fault. You have to live in the state. The taxes are high. But when you guys pass this, you you must have known that while it's going to be and you must chuckle every time somebody comes on a network and says it's a tax cut for the rich. And you're like, <laughs> you knew you knew it's not. Well, I, I know. I don't think we ever argue it's a tax cut for the rich. I think. Well, that, but it's, it's funny. Certain, I hear that on network well, after network. Have, I'm sure it's you in the, do. It's in certain papers <laughs> published in New York. Here's the surprise for you. The mainstream media is not exactly the same messaging as the Trump White House. I think we were arguing that actually this will help us to lower corporate tax relief, which will bring jobs back into America. And I think millions of jobs did come back into the United States economy. So, so yes, Mark, by reducing to, the corporate tax rate, I've got to disagree with you on this. This was I'm something. Sure you do. <laughs> this was something that Donald Trump did for his donors in lowering corporate taxes nationwide on the backs of blue states in this country that disproportionately send more money to the federal government than they get back. And in those states, what we're missing in the long term is post-COVID, where people are much more mobile, can decide wherever they want to be, suddenly you're seeing these outward migration patterns. And so what you're going to end up seeing now is that you're going to see higher income people leaving high tax states where they no longer get the SALT deductibility. And then you're going to end up having to increase taxes on upper middle class families in order to make up the difference. But Emily said this, Melissa, that and she in her reporting, she said when if this is allowed to expire, because it's supposed to expire, I think, at the end of next year, tax revenue will decrease. So de facto, the federal government itself knows this is not a tax cut for certain groups, because if the tax cut ends and revenue goes down, no, that's right. And, you know, it's interesting because when Democrats were in charge of Congress, too, and I'll, I'll be honest about this and we should all be honest with ourselves about this, we did not deal with SALT. And now the Republicans are not dealing with SALT. And the only way SALT is going to get dealt with is in 2025 when the rubber meets the road and this expires and there's an ability to renegotiate all of this in a broader context. But between now and then, I don't think you're going to see more than political posturing. I, I wonder, Mark, is there any Republican support for this? Because, listen, there, there, are, sure. there are red staters that are getting yeah. whacked. Not as much. But that are getting whacked by this, too. And by the way, not everybody in those, quote, blue states voted blue. There are certainly some Republicans still in the Northeast and in California who want the higher salt deduction. But it's hard for me to understand Democrats saying, is this actually they want higher taxes because they're concerned about our deficit or they want to provide more tax relief for people in the Northeast? You can't have it both ways. The bottom line is that we shouldn't be raising taxes. We should be cutting spending. We have $34 trillion in debt. It's a terrible fiscal situation for the United States. But the answer isn't raising taxes. The answer is actually reducing spending in Washington, D.C. I couldn't agree with you more. But at the same time, again, 10 states that are disproportionately impacted by SALT are overwhelmingly donor states. They send more money to Washington than they get back. So you're taking money from New York and giving it to Florida while then double taxing them by getting rid of the SALT deduction. And what's ironic, Mark, is that 
the House majority only exists right now because of a handful of swing districts in those blue states, places like Mark Molinaro, yeah. places like yeah. Lawler, what you just saw last night on Long Island. And so they're actually gambling with keeping their House majority mm. by not being more affirmative on salt. You agree, well, So the reality is that those 10 states are the disproportionately highest tax states in our country. They are mismanaged and they need reform. That's the place to start is fixing That's those 10 states. That's up to those state as opposed capitals, to the federal government. but it doesn't mean well, that you have double taxation. So don't put it on the backs of people across the middle of America to pay for the, the people in Northeast who can't manage their own So then states. you know what? Here's the well, deal. It's also te- to be fair, it's also Texas. Because Texas, while not having any income tax, has high other taxes. Mm-hmm. So that when you itemize, and to your point, it's only what, I think 13% of Americans itemize, but out of 130 or so million or whatever, 140 million, t- I don't exactly know, it's 140 or so million tax mm-hmm. filers, you're still talking, what, 15 plus million households, Mark? That's a lot of voters. Sure there are, but I think in Texas, I think they would appreciate the fact that we've lowered corporate tax rates and reduced individual rates to other places and made it a flatter tax code. We shouldn't be having a disproportionate tax code that disproportionately impacts certain special interests, certain special geographic areas. But mm-hmm. I also Ideally, think that we then flatten you shouldn't... the tax code. We flatten it for all Americans. <laughs> flatten it for all Americans, great. Here's the deal, and we used to say this all the time when I worked for Governor Cuomo, then let New York keep our money. Okay, so rather than New York sending tax dollars to Washington that then can be redistributed across the plain states and across places like Florida that don't have income taxes, let us Florida. keep our keep money up, and not send it to you Washington. Keep up Florida. What's wrong with Florida? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Florida is a wonderful place to visit. Because every, uh, every, <laughs> every liberal New Yorker, when I would go down to Miami, was there. Oh, hey, what's going on? Didn't know you were coming down here during COVID. No, I mean, look, Florida is a great place as long as you're not Mickey Mouse. They have lower state and local That's taxes a totally in Florida. Di- I see what you did there. You're like lobbing a firecracker in as you're walking out the door. That'll be another discussion. Thank you, Melissa DeRosa. Mark Short, Thanks, a Brian. good discussion. We, ma- we actually made a wonky tax segment interesting, which is just that proves the power of AI. <laughs> Thank you. All right, coming up, don't skimp on the blue cheese dip because America's endless appetite for wings – is making some smart investors some big bucks. Plus, a counterattack may already be in the works against a sports streaming mega app. Alex Sherman is up with that. All right, let's get out of our last call watch list. So we start with America's love for chicken wings. And we've got to hone in on one saucy stock. That is Wingstop. If you were so focused on NVIDIA, you might have missed this. Wingstop is one of the hottest stocks in America. Over the past six months, shares are up more than 80%. You go back five years, Wing has more than quadrupled in price. A lot of chicken scratch. Now, Wingstop just got a major endorsement this morning from investment firm Bernstein. They initiated coverage with an outperform and a $340 price target. They write, quote, we initiate on Wing with an outperform, driven belief, that our, our belief that wing is a category of one concept in the fastest growing segment of restaurants basically out there with the potential to be the next dominoes. Huh? The next dominoes? Those are big shoes to fill or beaks. But Bernstein says one growth driver could actually be higher rates. Prospective franchisees may be attracted to Wingstop's relatively low startup cost, which could help it scale faster than competitors. Still, Wingstop's got a ways to go to catch up to Domino's. Wingstop's market value is 60% of the dominant pizza chain. Either way, Wingstop is a stock 
that we've got our eye on. They report their earnings a week from now and has nothing to do with AI. In the meantime, the proposed ESPN Fox Warner sports streaming mega app is being met with some scrutiny. Just listen to billionaire investor Nelson Peltz earlier today. The NFL didn't even know about it. They were caught by surprise. And how is that JV going to work if Warner's NBA contract, which is coming up for renewal very soon, and it's going to be quite expensive, my guess, what's going to happen if they lose that? What, is, what does Warner have to add to this? Now, Pelt's not the only one expressing some discontent with the venture. According to CNBC's Alex Sherman, even bigger players are unhappy with the arrangement. So joining us tonight with more on what Alex Sherman said is Alex Sherman. Um, Good to see it. It's probably unsurprising that the big cable companies, including our parent company, Comcast, Charter, Dish and others, are not exactly thrilled about this. Yeah, so they want more information at this point. Because remember, this JV... We don't have a lot of information. Correct. They don't... The JV not only has... Have they not even signed a definitive agreement to exist yet? There's no named leader. There's no name of it. So... From what I hear from the distributors at this point, what they want is more clarification on a one key question, which is, are we allowed to offer this same skinny bundle that you guys are allowing? Because if they are, no problem. In fact, the distributors have wanted to isolate sports from the main cable bundle for a long time. Charter, in particular, has been outspoken about this because sports is what makes your cable bill so expensive. And then leads to millions of people canceling cable that don't watch sports. Because ESPN gets so much more disproportionate money Correct. than the next highest. ESPN charges about $10 per month per subscriber. So of your bill, every month in your bill, the ESPN properties are about 10, 10 bucks. Correct. So like the next, and the highest, next highest expensive highest is, is what? 250 Fox News. Fox maybe? News, like two bucks, 250, right? right? Other than the regional sports network. Sure. sure so well. let me so if you're charter then or your Comcast, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is fine. Let us offer that. So if you put Charter or Comcast or whatever in your home, you could just pick that. Correct. As what, as what you pay for. The problem with that is it defeats the purpose of this JV to begin with because the JV is owned one-third, one-third, one-third by Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Fox. They want this thing to grow. So if you're just doing it through your cable distributor, the value goes to the cable company. They want the value. And therein lies the problem because if they're offering something – that the cable companies cannot offer. Mm. You, they may be triggering what are called most favored nation clauses, which is when these programmers sign deals with the distributors. M- m- there's a lot of deals that have these clauses in it that basically say, look, if you sign something with one of us, you, you got to give other distributors the same deal. It's particularly important in regional situations where, like, you know, Charter owns a certain area of the country. Comcast owns a certain yeah. area of the country. Make sure if ESPN's doing a deal with one, it's sort of the similar terms than the other. Because what people don't realize is that there's hundreds of cable companies in America. You, we may not think about if you have Comcast or Verizon or Charter. There's, there's hundreds of companies that, you know, in the middle of Iowa, whatever, they can't compete. So I, that's got to be the reason for that. Right. And so it's unclear, I think, at this point, if this new thing would trigger one of these MFNs. But I, I spoke with... Uh, cable analyst uh, Craig Moffat earlier today, he says he expects lawsuits from this, assuming that but the JV what? won't be it, able. It doesn't even exist yet, to your point. And is there a chance, Alex, it never happens? 
I think there's probably a chance that it's delayed and or never happens. I'd say it's unlikely because he come up with a big announcement like this to just have it never happen. It just strikes me as somewhat illogical. Well, if they realize the regulatory all of a sudden, they start getting hammered with lawsuits. They might. They might. And look, ESPN has a fallback already. ESPN has said that its direct-to-consumer streaming service, which is not this, is coming out in the fall of 2025. This is expected to launch in the fall of 2024. So if this never launched, ESPN, which is the biggest thing in this thing, thing. you know, it's the, the other networks you can kind of get show. in other ways. ESPN, the only way you can get ESPN today is if you're paying 75, 80 bucks, whatever it is, for your standard cable bundle. So that's why this Sports JV is Or ESPN Plus, right? But ESPN Plus does not have everything that ESPN no, has. No, it does not. It has a lot, and it's like 109 a year. But not the marquee. It doesn't have every Monday Night Football game. It doesn't have sort of the best No, of it doesn't have that. No, no, no. And that's what ESPN But you want to watch, watch Akron versus Bowling Green on a Monday night? You, you got, got it. You got it, ESPN baby. for $10, $11 a month, whatever By it is. By the way, half ESPN my Hokie games I watch on ESPN Plus. Quick update. Any update on Paramount? We do have a little bit of update in terms of shareholder movement. We know that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway sold one-third of their shares, which is interesting uh, because, you know, what are they doing with the other two-thirds? Do they still think this thing's going to be sold? Is the sale a signal that maybe they don't think a deal Maybe just a rebalancing because they bought oil The companies. whole thing sort of hasn't made sense to me from the beginning to some degree yeah. because usually Berkshire Hathaway is a buy and hold. So this idea that they're counting on a deal, unusual for them. Alex Sherman, always great. Wednesday nights, appreciate it. Coming up, a big announcement from Elon Musk on SpaceX and the moon. All right, you are not having deja vu. We have got a bonus tomorrow's news tonight story for you. SpaceX is set to do something that has not been done in more than 51 years. Less than six hours, five hours and 17 minutes, Elon Musk's rocket company is set to launch a robotic moon lander. It was set to blast off last night, but a technical issue led to a delay. This is an image of what the SpaceX rocket will be carrying. Intuitive Machines Nova Sea Moon Lander. If the mission goes well, it would be the first American spacecraft to make a soft landing on the moon's surface since the Apollo 17 landing in 1972. It will also be the latest private effort to send a spacecraft back to the moon. Launch comes, Elon Musk just announced on X that SpaceX has moved its state of incorporation from Delaware to Texas, becoming the latest of Musk's companies to ditch Delaware. For more on SpaceX, let's bring in serial entrepreneur and futurist Peter Diamandis, he is the founder of the XPRIZE Foundation and Singularity University. It's cool. I love space stories, Peter. doesn't matter what your political stripe is. You can get behind it. But is it what do we need to go back to the moon? Uh, Brian, good to see you. It's it's uh, it's humanity's destiny. Uh, we are uh, about to evolve beyond the bounds of Earth into our universe. It's uh, what keeps us going. You know, when I was a kid growing up in in New York, it was the Apollo program that ignited my imagination and that documentary called Star Trek that kept me going. And everything I've ever done has been a result of that. So I think we can inspire uh, the next generation engineers and scientists uh, with lunar missions, Mars missions, and just moving beyond. It's cool. And my guess is Musk just said, you know what, I want to go to the moon because I can say I did it. Is there anything there that we need? Is there something about the moon that does will eventually keep pulling us? Well, you know, this this mission by Intuitive Machines actually started 17 years ago in 2007, 8. 
uh, uh, I'm chairman of the X Prize Foundation. We put up these large cash prizes to drive innovation. And we partnered with Google and launched a $30 million Google Lunar X Prize for the first team to go and land on the moon privately, uh, rove, send back photos and videos. And uh, that prize never got won. It lasted for 10 years, but four of the alumni uh, have gone for it. There was a team out of uh, Israel that went for it. It partially had crashed on landing. Another team out of Japan, um, another team recently, uh, Astrobotic. And Intuitive Machines is the fourth team. It's not easy, first of all, to get to the moon. Uh, amazing that we did it six times using like calculator level computation. And so XPRIZE really, for us, the reason we're going back to the moon was to open a new economy. Uh, there is a lunar economy. There are resources on the moon for sure. Uh, but most importantly, we'll do science up there. And it's it's driving human, you know, adventure, innovation. So, you know, for us, it's launching XPRIZES on longevity. People didn't believe we could go privately to space. We launched a private spaceflight XPRIZE, a lunar prize. These things are about getting people to dream big and do amazing things. And, and feel good. There's, there's so much divides us, right? And I get it, the media is complaining about this or that, we get divided. This, this should, I hope, serve a bigger purpose. Maybe make us feel good. Look what America, look what capitalism, look what ingenuity and intelligence and effort can do. You know, this, this is going up on a Falcon 9 mission from SpaceX. The next generation of vehicle, Starship, that's not far behind, an amazing uh, vehicle can carry 100 people to the moon. You know, so I want my kids who are now uh, 12 years old to realize that it's within their purview, everybody here, to, if they want, go to the lunar surface. I know we have a lot of problems here on Earth. That's what XPRIZE is focused on, solving everything from gigaton carbon removal. Elon funded a $100 million prize for pulling mm -hmm. CO2 out of the atmosphere for us. We just launched a health span prize to reverse your age by 20 years. I know we all want that. And we have to remember we're living in an amazing time uh, where science fiction is becoming science yeah. fact really fast. I love that because we forget it. You know, we think it's never been worse. Actually, it's never been better in so many ways. You know, I, you know I, I, thank, you for, thank you for saying that because, you know, the news media, unfortunately, when it bleeds, it leads. But there's so amazing things going on in the world that it should really inspire us. And it's an amazing time to be alive. The only time more exciting than today is tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned. I love yeah. it. The, the optimism. Peter Diamandis, thank you very much. Brian, I was going to say happy uh, Valentine's Day to my mom who's watching. Can't not say that. You, ha you better. That's very sweet. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, let's get out of our quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Love is in the air at the White House. First Lady Jill Biden unveiling her Valentine's Day display on the North Lawn, complete with oversized candy hearts with messages written on them like, be kind and choose love. Rideshare companies, meantime, not feeling the love this Valentine's Day. Drivers from Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash striking at several major airports across America. They want better pay and benefits. Uber says the protests have not led to any disruptions. Thousands of Porsche, Bentley, and Audi cars have been impounded at U.S. ports. That's after a supplier found a part in the cars that breaches anti-forced labor laws. Parent company Volkswagen says it wasn't aware of the problem and that the part in question comes from Western China. Volkswagen has delayed deliveries and works to replace the component. Inflation now hitting the tooth fairy. 
Kids who lose a tooth are now reportedly getting more than just a couple of bucks under the pillow, with some getting major $100 payouts. Others, video games, designer accessories, and phones. The main culprit, you can probably guess, it's TikTok. All right, coming up, a brand new neighborhood, unlike many, with one big thing missing. And during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage. Here is Ariel Investments co-CEO and president in Ogden Elementary School in Chicago, classmate with my wife, Melody Hobson. When I think about how being black has impacted my success, I think of something very practical, which is that it allows me to stand out. There aren't a lot of people like me. And so at least I can be memorable. If I can take that opportunity to be memorable and say or do something that will leave an impression, I think it, it, it gets magnified. So just being different to me creates a great opportunity and being black is one of my, my differences, especially in the industry that I'm in. live in a completely carless complex will look no further than cul-de-sac it's a community in tempe arizona and it's backed by some big names diana olick joining us now live from the aforementioned tempe arizona Hey, Brian. Yeah, this is cul-de-sac. This is the main square, and it's designed and built, the first one ever to be entirely carless. So you have this kind of main square here, and they have these micro-retailers, which are actually just studio apartments that are on the first floor. And some of the people in the small businesses who own these retailers actually live in the apartment complex. So you've got kind of the games area, the social area, and then you've got this massive gym complex over here, which goes two stories up for classes more retailers in there, but you'll notice no asphalt, no cars, no parking spaces, no garages. So when you go into the apartment proper, which you know, you gotta go through your security gates, you also have this kind of slightly European feel to it, I'll say, and the buildings are very close together. That's because it's Arizona and because it's carless, they wanna try to keep it cool. And they say that by keeping everything close together and kind of darkish, that they can keep it cool. And what you will see here again is no parking space, no garage, but electric bikes. The first 200 people who move in get their own free electric bike and scooters. And that's what you see going down the road here is just everybody parks their electric bike in front. And this is the first phase. They're expecting to have over 700 apartments by the time phase three is done. And as you said, big backers, Lennar, the nation's second largest home builder, is one of those backers, I, I, I'm kind of, you said Europe. I'm kind of waiting for like a Heather Locklear, Andrew Shue. I got a Melrose Place <laughs> vibe going on there. A little bit, a little bit, but it's interesting because they have a lot of partnerships going on here. Lyft will give them discount rides to anyone who lives here. The entire complex is directly across the street from the Metro light rail system, and everybody who lives there gets a free light rail pass because the city, Tempe, wants more walkable communities like this. Um, and so there are ways to get around. They also have a rental car spot where you can rent a car for an hour if you want outside. So there are ways to get around, but the whole idea is not necessarily anti-car, but be social, walk, and make it more of a community. And I think there's a bar there so you can stumble if you can't walk, but you're not driving. So it's safer there too. There is, we'll be heading da there next. Diana exactly. Olick, thank you. Tempe, Arizona, go Sun Devils. Thanks for watching Last Call, everybody. We will see you tomorrow night. Have a great Valentine's Day night. Let's say your small business has a problem. Like maybe one of your doggy daycare customers had an accident.
you might say something like, Doggone it! Hi, Chihuahua! Holy schnauzers! But if you need someone who can actually help, just say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there! And get help filing a claim from your local State Farm agent. For your small business insurance needs, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.